Hi, and welcome to the Saxophone Academy podcast. I'm Dr. Wally Wallace. And I'm Dr. Susan Fancher. And today we are talking about... The exciting topic of jazz versus classical mouthpieces. Uh-huh. And how come it's so hard to switch from alto to soprano? And why you sound like a dying goose on the <laughs> Hope you enjoy the episode. Oh, and if you have a question for the podcast, do reach out. Wally at thesaxophoneacademy.com. Yay. So, Sue. Our, our, our um, inbox has been flooded with excellent questions. I know. We questions. can't keep up. This is awesome. Just, well, we can't keep up because we're busy doing other things. If, you know, I know. If but, we could just, yeah, we'll, we'll stay on top of it now. We will stay on top of it. <laughs> we promise that every yeah. time, Wally. So I have, this, I have this great system. I get a question, then I just forward it to Sue, and then she takes, holy cow, she prints it out and then puts I'm, thoughtful notes all over the margins. I'm so old school. <laughs> God, I gotta start. I love my paper and pencil. I got to start paying you one of these days. <laughs> It's but, all good. But yeah. <laughs> it's a good excuse to get together. If we well, didn't is, do this no, podcast, we'd never, yeah. we would be too busy to get together. Yeah, the podcast so. is currently like negative $19 a month in, in revenue, given that, <laughs> even though we pay her, we don't do, we don't just, like everyone's like, I've had some friends that run successful podcasts. They're like, yeah. Wally, what are, you, what are you doing for advertising? It's like, I don't like asking for money. Right. <laughs> like, Nothing. So there's, so there's some companies that, you know, you can obviously go for, for sponsorship, but it's oh. like, ah, then you got to negotiate uh, and they have to talk about their stuff. Ain't nobody got time for and that. And they ain't nobody got, and they don't like it. They don't like it when you make fun of their stuff. What? I know. Hey, no publicity is bad publicity. Don't they know that? Well, apparently to the asbestos mouthpiece company, they're, no, I'm kidding. So we've got some great questions uh, today. Yes, we do. First of all, uh, upcoming <sighs> events. Um, mm, oh, yes. I think registration just closed. So, oh, yeah, but it's let's, but it's, it's, well, there could be maybe there's a wait year. list and maybe oh, there, there is or a wait next year. list. You can so, get you on are it. teaching at I'm going to do a master class at the American Saxophone Academy, not related to the Saxophone June. Academy. That's right, American Saxophone right. Academy is yeah. not related in any way to it, or shape or form to us. That's right, we can't take credit for it. Well, no, vice versa, they can't <laughs> take credit for the, <laughs> That's right, the distinguished audience of which we've built. All right. Well, so yeah. you're teaching this summer at Yeah, Heart School of Music um at the end of June. For okay. A couple of days I'm going to be doing master classes. So they've got 40 students signed up. So they're full, but there is a wait list. So if you want to get in touch with the people at the American Saxophone Academy. Now that's going to be like camp. academy beep snort kind of stuff, right? Oh yeah, it's going to be you have to have had at least 1 year of college studies as a saxophone major. Oh. Or a music major or something uh, like that. Okay. So it's a bunch of saxophone geeks. So I- anyone who's there has made poor life decisions is what you're saying. Exactly, including the faculty. To- <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, yeah. And, and, uh, you you know these names and they we've all made terrible choices. <laughs> we really have. Oh, you know, we, but we, we joke about that. Never live with time. regret. No. So what's the point? I don't know. Learning from your mistake. Well, no, living with the oh, right. Oh, yeah. there is that. Learn yeah. from your mistakes. <laughs> Learn from your mistakes. Yeah. Learn from your Next mistakes. Time around. Dr. Wallace. <laughs> Dr. Wallace. Yeah. Next no, time. No, I gave I gave a uh, guest. Um, so um, the former provost, I don't even know what a provost is. <laughs> I'm not I swear 100% to God. sure I, what they do. I know it's they, an administrator thing, but right. like what a provost does or why they're called a provost or what's a provostitional <laughs> duty? I do not know. But the former um, vice provost, uh, Kelly Burke, Keller, clarinetist yes. faculty, who's actually going to be the director at a new school, or director of a school of music yeah. in West Virginia, she had me talk to her entrepreneurship class. Oh, great. Yeah, and and so speaking of, le- this all ties into learning from your mistakes. Yeah. And so I was basically explaining how the Saxophone Academy works and how I make my living and yeah. how it's fun and how I had to think outside the ivory tower. Totally. And, and someone said, well, I mean, do you recommend like, if you want to go into business, do you recommend going to grad school afterwards? And like, it shot out of my mouth faster than it should. <laughs> I was like, no, absolutely not. Huge waste of time. 
And and I could see like, um, and to her credit, uh, Dr. Burke didn't flinch. Right. But I mean, she's about as academic as academics can academe. Yeah. Um, you know, even in administration. <laughs> and I was like, no, it's just absolutely not worth it. I said, they will take you into the program knowing that you have no prayer of a job. It's like in the 1980s, if you went to the mall, there's these people that walk around like, oh my gosh, you could be a model. Let's go take some headshots. Yeah. And you'd go up, pay your 250 bucks and give you these glossy <laughs> headshots. There you go. And then they're done with you. They yes. have your money. They got your money. They thought like, you're going to be a model. Come in. Then they would do that. They would scout out like, you know, teens and people in the mall. And then they would talk. I'm like, oh, you should get your modeling packet together. That's basically grad school for music these days, most of the time. And so as far as like, if I had to do it over again, there's no way I'd get a graduate degree in music. I would move to a city with the biggest, baddest player I could find take lessons, and then I would spend my time uh, on YouTube and podcast learning videography. I'd learn marketing. I'd learn those yeah. kind of things. And I would just practice. I wouldn't sit in a wind ensemble for 10 hours a week. Right. But so that's <laughs> living with regret. Well, listen, they asked you your opinion, so they don't have to agree with it, but you no, know. They, they darn well should. <laughs> well, yes, they should. They, they, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying that you, it's good that you just, you just said what you believe. Right. Because that's why you were there. You were yeah. asked to say what so you believe. Funny story. So. There was one student that was a little, and he admitted, he's like, nah, I know this is being a little bit of a blank hole. He said, <laughs> but he's like, you know, you've admitted your privilege. Cause you know, I said, no, I was, you know, my wife pays the bills, was paying the bills when I was building yeah, this. Right. And I, you know, she's, you know, and he said, but I mean, like, honestly, I mean, like, you know, I know you said you were staying home dad during, uh, you know, the pandemic with two kids, but as a, no, but. The, yeah, you have no idea. If like, you're not a parent, until you're like, a parent, you have no idea. But he was basically idea. like, well, of course you could build the Saxman Academy. You were right. just a stay at home dad during a pandemic with two kids homeschooling. Yeah, but you built it and before I was like, that. You, well, First and also, but I launched during it. <laughs> yeah. And I was thinking like, yeah. you little turd. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, and so I literally said, it's like, I said, you know, guy, I've been in the army. I've finished army basic training. Right. That homeschooling two kids during the pandemic, that was harder. No By question. By way, no question. It no was question harder. about so, it. Yeah. Yeah. So yep. I basically said there's no excuse. For I didn't nothing. have a little kid during the pandemic, but I had a high schooler. Oh boy. And you could not just check out on anybody in your house who was trying to get through that, yeah. then you had to- I, I bet you could cut and the also, sarcasm with a knife. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But just also all the trauma that we were all going through at that time. Yeah. Yeah. So so I was thinking about the fact that your wife is a doctor and was paying the bills for two years while you invested in all of those videos that you were making. Mm. And you spent two years working like every minute that was free to you doing that work, but you know, you could have, you could have gone and taught, you know, if you didn't have a wife who was, who was, you know, paying all the bills, but if right. you, you know, but somehow it, just <laughs> scrape by and, and do some work to pay the bills. And, you know, I'm just saying that somebody else, you know, could, could right. also do that. You, you, you that wasn't the only reason you well, did that. That's what I told them. Like, you know, yeah. honestly, I mean, like, because some of them were like, you, know, you could see there's some people and they were like, man, I would yeah. love to grow an audience and talk yeah. about my passion and help so people. Yep. And I was like doing it, but I said at the same time, um, I said, while a lot of people are scrolling social media or watching Netflix, I was like, I wouldn't sit for hours adjusting camera settings and this lights. This is exactly what I'm and getting at. Yeah. yeah How many hours passion. do we spend doing all of these other things? Yeah. So if you want to do this, you do have to invest 
you know, this is why I haven't done this because I haven't taken a year or two. It's easy. It's easy for somebody to say, oh, but you did this because blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the heart, it, it's always like that, right? Yeah. There's always people out there saying, oh, well, you did this because it was easy for you. No, no, Sue, it was hard. Sue, you're just playing concertos because yeah. you practiced for a decade. Yeah. Easy for you to practice yeah. for a decade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, because I was so <laughs> privileged. Yeah. No, I, I think that t- if well, you want to do it, yeah, you'll it's, find time. And whenever whenever a student tells me, no, regardless of what you've done, practice, yeah. learning a, yeah. a second genre of music or whatever, they're like, well, I don't have the time. I was like, hand me your phone. Yeah. Your screen time hours, yeah. the screen time app will tell me how many hours you've stared you at that little box. for what you decide right. is important to you. So there's this, this author, I've said this quote before, I think on the pod, podcast, Anne Lamott. And she does a lot of courses teaching writers to write. And she's... She says the number one thing she says to people who want to be writers or are currently writers is stop not writing. (laughs) Just every day, sit down and write. And don't worry if it's bad, but sit down and write. It's kind of like practicing, right? Stop not writing. She's like, but you people keep coming to these courses and paying me a lot of money to get my advice on how to be a better writer. I'm telling you, rule number one is stop not writing. So we need to to have a very high price ticket item where we just tell people to practice or stop not practicing. Stop not practicing. There's our t-shirt, yeah. Stop not practicing. Speaking of high levels of privilege, and in all honesty, I do acknowledge I've got gazoodles of, of privilege in a lot of different ways. But the biggest point of privilege right now we need to talk about is people that have access to us to ask questions. Oh, yes. I mean, how privileged are they? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, they're so kidding, of course. We're lucky so to get we've got, questions. We've got a couple of great questions. <laughs> yeah, a lot can of you, great Can questions. you read one? I will read one. Okay. So this is from Ben Curley. He says, hello, Dr. Wallace and Dr. Fancher. Hello. Am, hello. I am a current sophomore in high school and have been playing for a few years so far. And I am the principal saxophone in classical music at San Marcos High School in California. I don't mention this as a brag, but just for reference, because my band director, a saxophonist, and my private teacher um, has started me on soprano. And I am really struggling with finding Mm. the musicality on soprano that I can usually find on alto along with a lot of just general struggle towards the technical side. I don't really know where the question is in this, but just in general, how do you approach soprano while having the same expectations and standards for yourself with your alto playing when they are just never matching up? I get this question in various forms a lot. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's, how come I can't play the palm keys on the soprano as, as well as I can on the alto? And right. so on. how come I can't do the low notes as well on the soprano as I can on the alto? How come it's harder to play in tune, blah, blah, blah. My, how come my the soprano doesn't and, fit in my alto case? Yeah, why doesn't yeah. my soprano, well, yeah, why doesn't it fit? Because you have to, you would have to, ch- no, never. Yeah. So, yeah. So what's the answer? Why is, uh, what was this, um, Oh, this Mr. is Ben. Ben, ben Curley. So, yeah, so, I mean, so I get this question a lot. It's a great question. Right. So why is Ben struggling on The Soprano? So he's, first of all, kudos to you. And you should celebrate your successes. Yeah. Uh, and you're finding success on alto. And that's fantastic. Yeah. So why is he having less success so on he, Soprano? He's so. clearly a pretty darn good alto player and he wants to play Soprano. Well, we think that we should just be able to pick up the other saxophones mm-hmm. and play them, which we kind of can. They're the same fingerings, yeah. right? You, you tongue them the same way. You read the same treble clef, no matter which one you're playing. But the thing, the the similarities kind of stop there in a lot of ways because you get so used to 
your instrument. And I'm realizing this, not even switching from, you know, one kind of instrument or one size instrument to another one, just switching from my old alto saxophone to this new, beautiful new alto saxophone that I bought, but it does not feel the same to play. So I'm going to have a period of adjustment, which I'm not sure I really had wrapped my brain around before I bought the new (laughs) instrument. Shame on me, but I'm going to have a period of adjustment during which this new alto saxophone, which I am falling in love with, but does not do the stuff exactly the way my old one did. So like my body has sort of been trained to do what it needs to do to make the sounds I want to make, make the technique, make the response all work the way I wanted it to work on my old alto. And so my body has to figure out what to do to make, what I want to happen happened on this new sax. And you've been playing professionally for at least five years. At least five years. Because you, you started uh, when you were really 25. about 10. Yeah. Oh, wow. I know. Okay, I'm so you good. started when you were 15. <laughs> right. And you're so, so nice. but you're still, I mean, it still takes us, like when, I, when I'm, the reason I don't do uh, mouthpiece comparisons, and we're talking alto mouthpiece to alto mouthpiece in the same tip opening. Right. So some YouTubers um, will just slap on five mouthpieces, play them back to back and see which one sounds better. Yeah. I think it's a really disservice to the mouthpiece manufacturer and listeners ears in general. And I, and I won't do that because I feel like in order for me to, so for instance, um, uh, uh, oh, uh, the 10M, I've actually, I think I've kind of made fun of the name 10M before. Not my favorite brand name, but I get where it's coming from. Yeah. He's saying, hey, Wally, I can send you a couple of mouthpieces for you to try. He's very well respected. Dave Pollock, a lot of great players play on his mouthpieces. Yeah, cool. So if he sends me a mouthpiece, I'm not just going to throw it on with my reed and then put it next to another one. I'm going to live with it for a couple of weeks and really find what reed makes it sing. How do I voice to get it and get to know it? Yeah. And you're talking alto to alto, same Same tip tip opening, opening. everything. And it takes you a couple of weeks. Well, to really make sure that I can give it its best foot forward. And yeah. here's the funny thing. Yeah. After the couple of weeks, I sound basically, of course, like just, you. Just like me. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's not right. it's not me not understanding a mouthpiece and like, oh, that one's a little darker. And like, is it? Or is it I just not adapted to the voicing? Right. You know? So with soprano, like, and so you're saying from series two to supreme takes an adjustment period. It takes an adjustment period. you're talking period. about some very fine-tuned things. 90% yeah. of the population would never notice the difference of you playing or having any difficulty. You're not going to hear the difference. No. And, and, yeah, exactly. So when when you go from alto to soprano or alto to tenor or alto to berry or whatever, you know, sure, you can sit down and you know what the fingerings are and all that kind of stuff. But it you have to live with the instrument for a while so mm-hmm. that you just get used to the response and, you know, the tuning is going to be a little different. And you have to find, I like to say, find your voice, find your sound on that instrument and make Figure out what you have to do to make the sound you can imagine in your ear come out of that horn. And it doesn't come out right away. No, I also say, so like you can't have, well, I just want to get my alto sound on the soprano. Uh-uh. It's a different instrument. You really need a sound concept for each of the voices. I mean, people say, well, no, my sound concept doesn't change. It really does. I mean, it's the basics of the sound concept, but like you have to find your voice on those different instruments. Totally. Um, which is funny. I don't think there's a single saxophone I can think of. So like I can recognize Zoot Sims very quickly. Very iconic sound, yeah. But he, I'm not sure if he's, there's many tracks you may not be aware of where he's playing alto. If I just hear the alto, I can't tell that Zoots, it's not like it's his exact sound, but a, a fifth higher. Or like when he goes to soprano. Ah, because he has yeah. his voice on those different horns. Same yes. thing with, with Bud Shank, one of my favorite alto players. He has an album of just tenor stuff. It's not the same voice, but lower. 
Interesting. It's really yeah. not. Yeah. I think that's probably true from my soprano to my alto. They're different. They're different voices. They're different sounds. Yeah. No, you'd yeah. have, you have. Um, it's different. It's it's not the Sue Fancher sound up a fifth. No. Or up a four. Or, or whatever it six, is. <laughs> I has a doctorate in saxophone. I know, right? <laughs> right. I don't. Meh. You know how to play it. <laughs> I can wiggle my fingers in time. That's <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's not Sue Fancher in a higher uh, tessitura. It's really a different voice. And it's. It's really so. How is is Mr. Ben? Was that his name? Yeah, Ben. How is Ben going to tackle this? And it goes to the writing <laughs> explanation. <laughs> well, I was going to tell the story about Londex when we when he was teaching at the conservatory in Bordeaux. Mm-hmm. He made everybody play all four of the different instruments in quartet. So when at we, the same time, yes, no. It, <laughs> so Sacre if, bleu. If, if you, if you and I were in a quartet together with two <laughs> other people, like you would learn the soprano part, the alto part, the tenor part, and the berry part to every single piece we were playing in that quartet. <laughs> okay. Ain't nobody <laughs> got time. <laughs> But we did have time for that because you were well, at we a conservatory. Were, we were at a conservatory, and so right. all you had to do was play the saxophone. So we would have quartet rehearsal. It would be hours long. So you, you know, we would just switch around and play the different instruments. But he told us, he said, if you to get comfortable on the instrument that's not your most familiar saxophone, right? Play your scales. Do your scales on the other instrument. Instead of doing all of your practice on your, you know, like alto right, and then right, just right, right. going to play soprano when you play in quartet. No, do your warm-ups on that instrument. Yeah, all of your warm-ups, nice. you know, your exercise zero, your articulation exercise, your finger exercises, your scales, your articulation, your mm-hmm. altissimo too would be really great to do, but maybe wait yeah, a little like bit on that. On soprano, there's a little bit. Oh yeah, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but do, do your warm-up and really play that instrument. So I didn't really get comfortable on the soprano. I would say it was at least five years after I was really focused on soprano. And I was playing professionally during that time, but I would miss things, high notes on palm keys that would kind of close up on me or not get a nice low attack on things. You know, even though I was out playing quote unquote professionally, you know, I wasn't playing as elegantly on that instrument as I as I wanted to. I was still learning it because I was new when I started being a professional saxophonist. Right. Playing in quartets, I was pretty new at the soprano still. I had played a little bit in college, but I hadn't played like majorly full-time on the soprano. Alto right. was still my full-time saxophone and soprano was my part-time saxophone. And now it's flipped after all these years. But so good it, thing you bought a Summer Supreme for your part-time saxophone. I know, I know that's, that's more why it's so silly. Right, right, right. <laughs> that I did that, but do your scales on the soprano, do your vibrato exercises on the soprano, and and then maybe when you, if you're taking lessons, which it sounds like Ben is, then you have to practice, you know, maybe you practice your etude, you could practice on soprano, or you could mm-hmm. practice on alto. If your repertoire is alto repertoire that you're going to perform on alto, well, practice that on alto. Right. But the stuff like your scales and your warm-ups, you could do those on the soprano. The other thing about going from alto to soprano is if you go from a curved alto, which I guess we all play a curved alto. To oh, a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they used to have straight altos, but nobody plays on those anymore. No. But if, you go to a, if you're going to a curved soprano, the fingers are going to be a little bit more in the same position as your alto. But if you go to a straight soprano, your hand position is different too. And so that's part of what's tripping you up, Ben. But give it time and live with it. 
mm-hmm. and just just be patient with yourself. Work at it, but be patient with yourself. Because how many years was it until you felt great and comfortable on your alto? I'm betting it was a good five years. I'll let you know when that happens. Well, yeah. same. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. So stop not practicing the soprano. Stop band. No. Not, yeah. Play the soprano. Give it time. Yeah, give, give it time. time. You've got to give it yeah. time. Work with a tuner. Work with drones. I think drones. drones are the best way to work on tuning. Get your ear going. My Don't favorite, just rely yeah. on that needle. When I, whenever I would um, in quartet have to do the berry, the tenor, or the soprano, first thing I would do is go to the piano, hold down the pedal, the sustain pedal, and play fifths. Yeah. And then play my scales and arpeggios in that key. And then I would go down a half step and then do oh, the same thing great. with those those drones ringing out. And yep. you realize like it, you got a lot of new adjustments. We don't realize how many adjustments we're making on our primary saxophone. Yeah. And then those adjustments may or may not work at all or even close to on the. Yeah. By the way, have you gotten used to the C sharp on the Supreme? Yeah, it's kind of nice to not have to do anything yeah. too much. You know, I I kind of can use that um, covered C-sharp that I've used in all my repertoire. I, I kind of can use it if I kind of voice just right. It was but a little sharp for me when it did the covered. Yeah, it's a little, and it's a little. Thanks, Silmer. Yeah, so that's that's a bit of an adjustment, but yeah. it's it's really kind of a blessing to be able to not shy away from open C-sharp quite as much. It's still not perfect. You still have to help it, but no. it's pretty good. Well, that's good. We we got exactly another question. Said, oh gosh, um, questions! You guys, you guys are awesome. We got a ton of backlog questions too that we we're do. gonna get. We're gonna get, if you've written the Saxman Academy. We're, I've, I'm printing we're them. We're gonna out. get to them. Yep, we're we'll gonna get, get to them. them. Uh, some of them, you know, you may have moved on, but that's okay. We're still gonna answer your questions. Yeah, we'll never know. <laughs> so Greg Duke sent a message and he says, "Hi, I have a couple of jazz mouthpieces pieces, and I have a couple of classical mouthpieces." He doesn't say specifically which ones. Um, the classical ones are much easier to play and sound better than the jazz ones. Why is that? And what can I do to improve myself on the jazz ones? Interesting question, actually. Because mm-hmm. it occurred to me that when I start beginners, I never start them on what I would call a jazz mouthpiece. Mm-hmm. I start them on, you know, if they have a Yamaha 4C that came with their instrument, that's fine. Or I'll have them get a Selmer C-Star or you know, a Van Doren AL3 yeah. or, you know, those are. Or the you know, the uh, yeah. Yamaha 4C is a good That's starter like, workhorse. Yeah, and it comes with the Yamaha student model instruments. No, so you can get them off included. eBay for like 40 bucks. I th- not eBay, um, Amazon, I think yeah. for a little over 40 bucks. Last yeah, time I checked. cheap. Don't yeah. quote me on that. It's been a while since I've But they're, they're inexpensive. Yeah. They're inexpensive and they're solid and reliable. And I think the thing about those mouthpieces is they really focus pretty easily. They're not as flexible as jazz mouthpieces usually are. So they're good for a beginning amateur, I guess is the way I would express it. What do you yeah. think, Wally? I think, so in general, the if we look at the tip openings of classical mouthpieces, they're going to be somewhere, I think, in the, the mid to low uh, 60 thousandths of an inch. Okay. Jazz mouthpieces, that would be unacceptably close facing for most. Right. So even... Your your five opening Meyer is going to be larger of a tip opening than than your average classical mouthpiece. So that smaller tip opening, the the distance that the reed has to travel to meet the rails of the mouthpiece is smaller. So it's just easier to blow right. and it's less fussing with it. And it's possible that the reeds you're using. Well, first of all, we needed to add the caveat that you cannot play the same reed on multiple mouthpieces. Right. If for any length of time, it adopts the the facing curvature. It adopts the window imprint. The table, you know, if the table is convex, concave, flat, or 
if you're using a beginner mouthpiece, a little bit of everything on the same table. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like that reed will adapt that shape and then not work well in another mouthpiece. So assuming you're using fresh reeds, it's easier to play a classical mouthpiece because the tip opening is, and it's more focused, like you say. Yeah. Um, jazz mouthpieces, they're, they're starting to get kind of extreme in their baffles and chambers. And, uh, you know, jazz mouthpieces are wanting to add a lot of color and interest and, you know, because it's a super crowded market. And it's just... I, they're just not as easy to get a good core tone by blowing. Yeah, is it fair to say that there's a wider variety in mouthpieces in the jazz world than oh, there are yes. in the classical world? So that's that's kind of part of what's going on. So so Greg didn't say what he has for jazz mouthpieces. Right. If they're like Meyer five or six, right. so or for you instance, know, the Van Dorn. So V16s. interesting, interesting case study. So so um, Greg, if you are using, for instance, I think. The Van Doren Blue Box Number Three is <laughs> just like if I like you can only use one read for the rest of your life for every genre and thing you play. What's going to be? I'm going to choose the Van Doren Blue Box Number Three. I think that's like the the most average. I think that's like mm. that's like the read they make. <laughs> and then the anomalies get become three and a half and two and a half. I honestly believe that. <laughs> I don't know. I find that the, the blue box, do you play on a two and a half on your AL3? I, I play on a three. Yeah. A blue box I think three for everything. Blue box three for me yeah. has been the most consistent read yeah. of I've ever found. No, no offense to any other reed companies. And no, unless I start not. a reed yeah. company, then then that, of course, won't hold true. I'm kidding. I have no desire to deal with saxophonist and cane. <laughs> right. But I will say, so if I could only choose one reed, I would choose that. And here's why. So recently, um, doing a little bit of work with Jean Paul, giving some feedback on some products and doing something very exciting on the horizon that we're going to yes. talk about here shortly. Okay. That's going to, it's been going to benefit everyone listening. Are we going to talk about that today? Not today. Okay. I want to get it nailed down, but that's a good idea. Um, Jean Paul is on head over heels with the idea of the 2020 saxophone craze, which means we're going to need a <laughs> lot of great stuff for everyone, yeah, and not us selling you stuff, right? Um, because they actually ship uh, saxophones to all over the world and some countries where there, there is no music education formalized right. in that. And th anyway, well, let's not get we'll into talk that. About but that later. The point yeah. is, they have a mouthpiece that's kind of like a Yamaha 4C. It's a 65 thousandths of an inch, mm -hmm. which is close to like a 4C or your C star. I don't know if the new ones are the old ones. It doesn't matter. But the point is it it plays beautifully as a jazz mouthpiece for me with a number three read. But oh, if I take that figure. same, if wow. I take that same number three read and I put it on my signature 56 mouthpiece, yeah. the 56 Select maybe when you say the woodwinds. It's going to be stuffy and horrible right. and really That's hard to play. Say, if I put that on my Meyer. Yeah, because those larger tip openings, they require a softer yes. reed. Yeah. And so that would be my my number one is just, uh, you got to find the right reed matching. Right. So before I make any judgment about a mouthpiece, um, you've got to find the right reed. And there's some mouthpieces where I'm like, oh, this isn't, then you do a little reed search. You're like, oh, no, this thing completely sings. You just have to find not only the right strength. Some, some reeds I find, or some mouthpieces work really well with a filed reed. Some work better with a non-filed oh, read. We're talking gosh, the French yeah. file versus, yeah. you know. And so you're really going to find the right matching. I won't say jazz mouthpieces are inherently harder to play. If you match the right read, they are harder to control. So I would tell Greg, see if you see if you can get those mouthpieces to play better with some softer reads. Try. Yeah. And if you have to go down to a, something like a two, I mean, just try it. Just buy a couple. Don't buy, you know, whole boxes or something. Right. Just keep trying different reads because I'm betting if you find the right read, those mouthpieces are going to work. But, um, you know, write us again and tell us specifically which mouthpieces you're trying and... Right. Uh, we maybe won't answer you on the air, but we could answer you via email and give you some advice. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that. No, okay. 
<laughs> no, kidding, of course. No, kidding, yeah. of course. Yeah. yeah. And and do make sure you're using a fresh read with yeah. each oh, draft. Oh, for lead. sure. Yeah. I'm not even sure. So if I'm testing, and this gets super nerdy, if you were to buy a new Vendoran <laughs> AL3, Vendoran's going to send you those anyway. But right, say yeah. you have a student <laughs> yeah. and you were really serious, not so much these days because they're machine milled and they're very mm. consistent, but back in the days when the Maltesers <gasps> were molded, you would try four or five. Right. And oh. then I wonder if you're trying four or five of the same mouthpiece, people are like, why would you do that? Classical players, it used to be what we did. We did that. That's yeah. what we did. You yeah. get out your credit card. Oh, yeah. We would call up Woodwind Brassway oh, yeah. and send me four SADC stars. Whatever's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Of the exact, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not different facings. No, no, no. Like four All of the exactly same. the same. We used to do that. We used to do that. We had to do that because we they weren't to. they weren't the same. No, they're very different. There'd be four of them, they'd say the same thing on the box. Yeah. <laughs> but those mouthpieces played so differently. Yeah, the only thing uh, some of them seemed to have in common was the charge on my credit card was the same. <laughs> exactly. I know. But then you could try them. You would use a mouthpiece patch on the top and you have uh-huh. to be really careful not to scratch them up. And they would let you send them back. Yeah. The three you didn't buy. Yeah. There are all four of them if you and didn't they, buy them. They, they supposedly clean them. And then, uh, <laughs> then with someone, someone That's else. That's why I always clean them before I try them because I didn't trust yeah, them. No, 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 no. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, lots of hydrogen peroxide. <laughs> so, Greg, good good luck. Keep us updated on that. Yeah. Um, try it's a thinner read with question. the jazz mouthpiece. But then again, that's that's inconclusive advice or bad advice without yeah. knowing the tap openings. Right, yeah. Because that's so important. Or yeah. the brand. I mean, maybe you're not playing on a uh, Dr. Wally signature 56 yeah. Select. But, but you're not wrong you know? when you say that you notice that the classical mouthpieces are easier to play on. That well, is of course. Co- it's all things given. Speaking, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and also I will say, in, even at my experience level, even when the read is paired correctly, the palm keys and and the low end response is just going to be easier mm. and fuller and easier to get a nice tone on the closing mouthpiece, which is yeah. why I'm actually no, I'm going to shut up. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm going to. I sh- see your wheels I'm, turning. You can talk about that another no, time. No, I've been I've been experimenting <laughs> with something like oh, oh, this is kind of nice. Oh. But anyway, so. I'm I'm interested. There will always be people to buy my high-end mouthpieces yeah. or things like that. Yeah. But at the same time, I've become, and you as well, really interested in these people all over the world that don't have $300 to spend on a mouthpiece. Right, yeah. Because you got to think, um, so I have a good friend that lives in Mumbai, India, that actually edits oh, this yeah. podcast. You got to think, when he bought a Jean-Paul tenor, he's not just buying the tenor. He has to add all that value-added tax and customs and import. Right. Things become prohibitively, yeah. prohibitively expensive. So if we want people playing saxophone all over the world, which... Here's the thing. If you're a college saxophone professor and you're taking, in my opinion, and you're putting kids or you're accepting their tuition dollars and they're taking out huge loans to get a music degree, I think we should accept some responsibility of helping them build an audience and potential students, which means the more people playing the saxophone, the better it is for you and your students. If you want them to enter in this as a, I'm doing big old air quotes right now, career, saxophone career. Which means we do need to be thinking about like, well, just buy a Summer or a Yamaha and in this this $200 mouthpiece. Well, I'm sorry, but if, if you're living in certain countries around the world, not only is the exchange rate not in your favor, the import, the value added taxes yeah. and all these kind of things make it perfectly expensive. So I've become very interested, you and I have talked about this, about like what are some really great affordable options right. with countries that help people deal with that. Well, and even here, yes. even here, there's lots of people who, you know, families- Lots oh, of families can't plunk down a thousand dollars even for a saxophone. Forget the the really high end. Yeah. Ones. So if a band director so on a budget them. can even help them, like they they, they can't go buying a two hundred fifty dollar my mouthpiece, my, yeah. my hard rubber one, right. which I love so much. So I'm experimenting with the 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 the, the, the one of the Jean Paul mouthpieces that's acrylic, 
incredible with plastic. Yeah. A non-thermal plastic to my understanding. Okay. Um, <laughs> which is what Brillhard Evelyn's were made out of and stuff like that. But yeah. anyway, but using that like stock mouthpiece with a firmer classical style reed, I'm really loving the results. Awesome. Yeah. And so I think like this would be a really fun, super affordable thing to recommend for jazz players on a budget. You know, back in the 1920s when there was the saxophone craze, lots and lots and lots and lots of people were playing the saxophone. It was not an expensive instrument. Right. And so that's part of this idea for the 2020s. If people want to play the saxophone, because the saxophone is such a beautiful singing instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let's, not everybody has to have a Selmer Supreme or a Yamaha 875 right. or whatever the heck you have. You know, I mean, we can, there are cheaper options that are good and there are more and more of them all the I time. So. And then the people that scream though, well, just by use, just by used. That's a well, for someone without knowledge hmm. or like, we'll just go to a good repair tech. Like, do you have any idea yeah. how many how many small towns around the country or parts of the world? Like, yeah. First of all, how do they evaluate if it's a good towns, repair tech? There are big towns that don't have right. good repair techs. Well, so, like saying, yeah, like, or it's like right. saying like, you know, like, oh, we find a good repair tech. And how is Johnny supposed to find out which is right. the good repair tech? What well, is the source of evaluation? Well, Asking the tech? And they're not free either. No, and I know people that have gone to, <laughs> was it Red Wing? Is that the name of that repair school? There's a big repair school. I'm not knocking the school. No. Any school produces crud Good students. Answer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I've yeah, known yeah, people yeah. that have that certification that completely did an overhaul that did not play. Sure. And they didn't know why. Sure. So, I mean, yeah. like, yeah. So, I, I think for a lot of people, like, that used, the used market is kind of a, a minefield that I don't recommend always navigating. Right. If you you need to know what you're doing or have somebody work with you who right. does know and what they're doing. Right, not everyone has that. So in that, no, and in you that get a case, new one, you know, really least, affordable yeah. new instruments. It's going to be new. Even if they're manufactured and- in China, like your iPhone, yeah. Yeah. Yamaha student lines, summer yeah. student lines, yeah. manufactured in China. Okay, so, yeah, that's so, fine. Yeah, <laughs> and they're they're fine. Yeah. So we, I think we need to get over that. So yeah, yeah. I don't remember how we got on this topic. It's okay. Um, affordable mouthpieces. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. how we got on it. Well, I'm thinking like um, certain classical mouthpieces pairing with the right reed. Kind yeah. of fun. Yeah. Kind of fun for jazz. That's cool. I would love to find the perfect hybrid mouthpiece where like you could do both. I have not, I've I've seen some that are kind of close, but yeah. another that I'd pull the trigger on. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. So Greg, let me know. Oh awesome. no, excuse me. Let's Sue know. <laughs> There hey, you go. Sue, it's so good to see oh, you. Oh, well, so nice to talk with you. Well, I'll see you next week and we can dig yes. into more of these questions. Let's do it. And then maybe next week or the week after we can do the big announcement once we have all the details. <gasps> okay. Um, which this is going to be fit. Yeah. Well, saxophones all around the world. We're really excited. Awesome. Yeah, that's right. the idea. All right. Well, yeah. hit us up with your questions. And in the meantime, go, go practice. practice. That was really well, I think.